Before we start this episode, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we're recording this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders, both past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Hey everyone, can you believe it's been three years since I started on her game? I'm incredibly proud of the stories we've told in that time and the platform created to discuss important issues for women in sport. So, to celebrate the milestone, I thought we would go back to where it all began and catch up with our very first guest on the show, Elisa Healy, who has been, well, incredibly busy in the past few years since we last spoke. Elisa Healy, thanks for joining me again on on Her Game uh, 3 Years. You were actually my first guest, but you were the pilot for this whole series. So if uh, our episode didn't work, then On Her Game may not exist. So personally, thank you so much for being such a star for the first episode and making sure that On Her Game existed. Well, thank you very much for having me back. Uh, It's nice to know that um, it was successful and uh, I guess congratulations on on what the podcast has done. Thanks, Midge. Um, So since... Since we last spoke, uh, it was actually before the T20 World Cup um, in 2020, before the world went very strange as well. But you, of course, won that T20 World Cup on home soil, broke a record with 86,000 people at the MCG to witness. You starred in that final, 75. Then, of course, you've gone on to win the one-day World Cup this year. You were the player of the tournament and that innings, 170 in the final, which has been called the greatest innings ever seen in Cricket World Cup history. Uh, You also were the highest in World Cup final that you made. That was either male or female. You've also got the Commonwealth Games gold, and now you're the cricket captain on the tour of India. So uh, I thought when we met, you'd achieved a lot. But since then, it's been a very busy past three years. How do you reflect on those years? And out of all those that I just said, is one of those your greatest achievement or moment in the game? Um, Yeah, well, I guess when you just outlaid it the way that you just did, it's (laughs) been quite a remarkable um, couple of years. It's probably something that's it's not something that you gloss over, but I guess at the same time, it's sort of probably only when you you probably finish your career, you look back and go, wowee, that was a pretty intense couple of years. But um, mm. yeah, look, it it has been pretty amazing. And I guess for, for someone like myself, uh, probably when I first started play, for, playing for Australia, like, I never thought that um, those sorts of moments would, it, would ever take place for me. I mean, you playing alongside some of the best players that you know, have ever played the game, and um, I thought I'd be sitting there watching them do do stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's pretty cool, and um, I think probably the the highlight for me was, well, I think the Com Games was was pretty amazing and such a great experience mm. for our group. But that that fifty over World Cup in New Zealand was something that mm. um, our group will never forget. I think we were sort of under a mountain of pressure and expectation heading into that, mm. and and knowing how the twenty seventeen World Cup played out. Um, we really wanted to win that trophy and I guess for um, on a personal note to be able to do something like that in the final um, to help your team win is um, mm. is something you dream about. So, yeah, that will definitely be a highlight of mine throughout the rest of my life, that's for sure. What was that like, that 170? Did you get to a certain point and 
it just, I, I don't know, feel feel easier or the pressure was <laughs> off like once you pass 100 or 150 and, and then just kept going with you as in, I don't want to say disbelief as we were because we were just enjoying every single moment of that. But what was it like for you being out there? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one and I, I'm sure it's pretty similar if you asked a lot of people about um, some of the innings in their career. It, it sort of just felt like you're on autopilot. It's just you get to a point mm. where you literally, quite literally see ball hit ball and I think that's kind of what mm. you, you're aiming to do when you go first go out to bat. You're obviously overthinking it a little bit more than that but um, mm. it was only really when I think I, I sort of got past 150 and, and Beth Mooney was out there batting with me and she said, Oh, holy, holy crap, Mid, you could get 200 here that I kind of looked up and looked at the scoreboard and thought, holy hell, what is going on? And then I think I got out yeah. the next over, so I blame Moons. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, no, it was just sort of one of those innings where, yeah, it just felt like everything was just flowing really nicely and mm. it just kept going. I mean, I was absolutely knackered. My forearms were cramping. It was quite hilarious. The Poms were laughing at me because I couldn't unclench <laughs> my hands and just little moments like that made it um, even more funny, but yeah, but quite remarkable nonetheless. It was um, it was just enjoyable batting for that long. I heard before the T Twenty World Cup final on home soil, the one where it broke all the records, <laughs> and it was an incredible moment for for women in sport and, and women's cricket. And yeah, you with your seventy five were just sensational in that. But I heard like the night before you went out for beers <laughs> and there was a scooter race. Was there anything like that before you won 70 then at all? Is that part of your your kind of uh, pre-game routine now? No, um, that was very funny and I probably shouldn't have said that out loud about the night before <laughs> that final, but that was pretty funny. But no, the, the night, uh, nothing nothing happened the night before the, the 50 over World Cup final, but I did have the world's largest um, plate of hot cakes on the morning of the 170, so maybe <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> Did you do that before the T20 at all or? No, I just, um, the, the story about the T20 one was that I had a, um, a whole heap of mates come down um, and I went out for dinner with them and ended up um, bumping into some other friends um, who had their young kids there um, in the street and they were riding scooters. So I thought I had a bit of a scooter race with their son. Um, but uh, that was the beauty of that T20 World mm. Cup was that you know, I literally bumped into so many people in Melbourne the day before and the day of the game mm. that had come down for the event that had been involved in women's cricket that I've played with, that I've played against and just wanted to to be there for that moment. And mm. um, I think that's what made it so special. And I just wanted to be a part of that. It wasn't so much the on-field stuff. It was just I want to be with all these people that are celebrating this moment as well. Yeah, it was an incredible moment. One I'll always remember as well being very pregnant with my <laughs> second child. So I wasn't allowed to fly down to Melbourne for it. But I, I sat there with my toddler as well and I just had tears in my eyes because it was just such an incredible moment. And then watching you party with Katy Perry, I mean, how many times <laughs> in a lifetime do you get the opportunity to do that? Yeah, zero. So we I, I often <laughs> tell this story about, you know, Meg Lanning because um, you know, she you obviously get the opinion of her that, you know, you see she's been skipper for ages, she looks very serious and whatnot. And I remember after dancing on stage with Katy Perry, we were walking back underneath the um, underneath the MCG, heading back to the change room, and I, I looked over at Megan. She had the biggest smile on her face and I looked at her and she just <laughs> said, I just got to hug Katy Perry. And I said, Meg, you just won a World Cup. And she goes, yeah, but I got to hug Katy Perry. And I was like, she was like a 12-year-old girl at a, at a Taylor Swift or a Katy Perry concert. So um, oh, I just remember thinking it. that was actually really cool. I know we won a World Cup, but that on-stage moment yep. was um, extra cool. 
and external personalities, you know, personas as well. Meg would be the last person I thought would be like that with Katy Perry. So Yeah, she literally uh, took her moment. She's like, I didn't know what to do. I just <laughs> hugged her. And I was like, yeah, it's just, it just sticks in my memory of Meg Lanning hugging Katy Perry. I think that'll last a lifetime. Oh, I love it. So, you know, you've achieved so much and you've been a part of an incredible evolution for women's cricket for you now what's there left to achieve and is it something that you ask yourself as well what the what keeps motivating you to to keep going what how do you set your goals yeah it's an interesting question and probably one that I've been asked a a little bit more uh, over the last probably 12 months as well um (laughs) getting a little bit older people like to talk about the the dreaded r word but I think for you're me, you're not that old. How old are you now? I know, 30... I'm only 32. I've just been playing yeah, forever. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's an interesting one. I think for me, it's not necessarily about what do I, I want to achieve, and, it, and I don't think my career has ever really been about you know ticking off those sorts of things or milestones, whatever mm. you want to call them. Um, for me, I still love the game. I still love playing the game, and I and I absolutely love competing. And I think that's. Mm that's an important part of elite sport. I think when you lose that desire to go out there and compete, um, to play well and to win games in particular for Australia, I think that's potentially time that, um, you know, it might be enough. But for me, I'm still loving what I'm doing and I think the beauty of where we're at right now with women's cricket is that there's just so many new opportunities that keep popping up each and every Mm. year and, um, mm. You know, there's talk of a women's IPL next year. The WBBL keeps mm. getting better. The 100 in the mm. UK. Like there's just so many new mm. opportunities. And for me, I've, I've always had a really big case of FOMO in every situation. That I want to be a part <laughs> of it all and I want to experience it and I want to live um, and see what that's, what that's like. Mm. So for me, it's just these new opportunities that keep popping up that I, I want to be a part of and say that I've been mm. a part of um, in the growth of this this amazing sport at the moment, so I've been really lucky. I don't take that for granted one bit. I, I feel like I've been I've been brought into the right generation, and I've got to play and see the game grow um, mm. from you know my first ever cricket Australia contract, which was I think five thousand dollars, and I thought I was I was rich, um, <laughs> you know, as a sort of an eighteen year old fresh out of school. So the fact that mm. I, we can um, play the sport and make a living and get these opportunities around the world is is pretty amazing. So it's pretty cool to be a part of at the moment. Yeah, but you've been an integral part of that. I know your ego or lack of doesn't let you say that, but, you know, the movement of women's cricket and the progression of women's cricket benefited from Elisa Healy being involved in the game. So um, I know you you won't want to admit that, but it it definitely has. You've played an integral part of that. Um, you are over there in India at the moment because you've got a tour over there. Meg Lanning has decided to take a break from the game for a while. Uh, Rachel Haynes, who was the vice captain, um, she's now retired from international cricket uh, and that left, you know, you took over the reins. Congratulations. Um, has the captaincy in this tour, has that given you a new challenge and provided you with... With a new time. I heard you say that you were nervous taking over the captaincy. I find that hard to believe. I'm not too sure why. Yeah, I think that's that's probably one of these new little opportunities that I'm getting to experience. Um, you know, being captain of uh, what I think is an unbelievable group of people, and um, yeah, I think that's why I'm nervous about it because this group's been so successful for a long period of time, and 
it's not the it's not the losing that I'm scared of. It's it's sort of the um, I don't know the thought of leading this really um, amazing group and this really mm. this group of really independent and fierce women. I, I feel like it's um it's quite a challenge, but uh, I think I'm I'm sort of more comfortable with it now. And I think just being over here and and being amongst the group and and feeling their support in particular, um, you know, they're supporting me in, in what I'm doing and. And giving me the confidence to not have to change who I am a, as a person or a leader that you know that I already was beforehand, and I think that's sort mm. of given me the confidence to to just own it um, and not feel not feel like I'm just keeping the seat warm for Meg. It's just an opportunity mm. for me to go and put my own spin on on what this group does over the next sort of three weeks that we're here in India, and I've sort of mm. yeah going to really enjoy that opportunity, and and hopefully we can have some success along the way. But I think it's more about just enjoying our cricket and and playing some good cricket leading into what is a really big 12 months for our side. Do you remember your first tour of India with the Australian side in terms of the accommodation that you guys had, the resources that were available, very different kind of resource, very different to how it is today and what you're going through now? Yeah, it's completely changed just in the sort of, what, 12 years that I've been involved in. I think um, you can see... Even in particular, I think the, the Indian women's team moved into the hotel, I think, yesterday and you can just feel a different vibe around the place. They they all know who the Indian players are. Um, they know the women's cricket team. They know the women's cricket is on and I think that's just been a, a real shift mm. over here and definitely the, the level of um, support and um, whatever you call it, resourcing. I mean, the, the places that we're staying in are, are you know, are world-class. Um, we get yeah. fed really well. Just things like that are, have completely changed. And I think it's just purely the fact that women's cricket is continuing to grow over here. And, and I guess opportunities like us being able to come over here and tour, um, you know, in a one-off T20 series is huge for, for, for us, but also for Indian cricket as well. So um, mm. yeah, it's definitely changed over time and, and it's great to see, you know, the female players getting the support they need over here. Can you cast your mind back and give us an idea about the hotels that you stayed in back in the day, how they differ from now? Is there anything that really stands out to you, the difference in how it is? I love going back in time and <laughs> yeah, well, I think actually the old days. Yeah, I think actually the first time I came here, we were, um, I think the first place we ended up was Ahmedabad, which is sort of up north. Um, and now they have a 110,000-seat stadium that they just built up there that one of the IPL team plays at but at that time there was quite literally nothing the hotel was in the middle of nowhere it was semi brand new but quite literally in the middle of nowhere we're in country India playing sort of on what felt like a country ground um Mm. and yeah to see the shift that you know we're here we're in Mumbai staying sort of in Narraman Point which is like a beautiful part of Mumbai and and playing it you know, two of the biggest stadiums in Mumbai, which have about four or five, but we get to play at two of them, which is awesome. Um, yeah, it's just completely different, um, yeah, which has been kind of nice to, to witness. But sometimes those trips that um, what you feel isn't as awesome actually turn out to be some of the best trips that you, you're a part of mm. because they're the memories that you remember. I think you you get together as a side a bit more and you laugh about sort of um, the silly things that happen along the way. I mean, not so much silly things happen in the five-star hotels. You know, you get well looked after. But um, <laughs> when you get to an opportunity to go and go and tour and stay at a at a place like Faulty Towers, it's um, it's pretty funny and creates a memory. So it's not all bad. <laughs> I like that. I like that perspective. Um, you know, we talk about so much progress 
happening in, in cricket. But for you, can you tell us where's the next challenge in this battle or this hurdle to to really achieve equity in in cricket and to elevate women's cricket? What's the next kind of hurdle we have to to overcome? Um, yeah, well, I think from a global perspective, I think it's um, it's making sure that each and every country around the world is getting, you know, equal opportunity to play, equal opportunity to to grow and learn as cricketers and, and be professional athletes. I think that's probably the next step. And I think by doing that, it's, you know, it's playing a bit more cricket and having the opportunity to play against sides that we traditionally wouldn't. I mean, um, I think 2024, we actually go to Bangladesh twice in that year and, you know, we've only played in Bangladesh for a World Cup. So the opportunity to go and play a bilateral series in in some places that we haven't, I think that's naturally going to help grow the game and, and it's great for us as well to experience new things as people and as cricketers as well. So that's probably the the next thing and I think for us that the World Cup, having a World Cup basically every year, a world event every year is going to help that as well, um, mm. give opportunity to to these countries to go and, and play against the best sides in the world and I think that mm. that's going to be great and I think for us in Australia it's it's all about sort of that next generation and what we're doing at that domestic level to ensure that the next generation of cricketers are, are well supported and, and well-rounded people to be able to come and succeed at that international level. And I think mm. by continuing to grow the WBBL, but but also look at our high performance pathways and, and ensure that these young girls are being well supported, not just on the field, but off the field as well um, to ensure they're successful, I think is going to be really key. Uh, moving forward mm. it's not something that you can just throw money at it's not throwing money at the girls and saying you're being paid more your your expectations are higher it's actually how do we support them holistically to ensure that you know they're going to have long and happy careers um, in the game of cricket and keep them in the game for longer so mm. yeah I think that's a challenge for all sport I think the the way that mm. sports are growing professionally so rapidly and, and in front of everyone's eyes on the tv it's probably how we're supporting our athletes um, mm. off the field to ensure that, you know, we're getting the product that we want on the field. In the podcast that we did for the first episode, you talked about the moment that Belinda Clark had a meeting and and talked about how we're going to change women's cricket and we're going to focus on T20s and, you know, the white ball game and shorter formats of the game rather than test cricket. Um, and it's worked really well for the progress of, of women's cricket. Where are you at now? Do you still feel the same or do you think we need more test matches in women's cricket because there's so few at the moment. Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting question. Yes, the, the T20 game has been amazing for the women's game. I think it's been great for, for the men's game as well. I mean, um, you look at the recent one-day series in Australia and not many people really wanted to watch it. They just want to watch T20 cricket or they want to watch test cricket when it's mm-hmm. relevant um, in the men's game. So... Yeah, I think there is a place for test cricket in our game. I think the opportunity that we don't get to um, to play it, uh, I understand the reasons why and I understand the reasons why we, we sort of don't play it against more nations. But, I mean, the beauty of the T20 game is it's built it up and the multi-format series, sorry, in particular, is it's built mm. it up to, to be able to have those opportunities. And I think we've got three test matches in the next 12 months um, mm. against England, South Africa and India who are now wanting to, to buy into these multi-format series. And I think when you 
you play the test matches in in a context situation like those multi-format, I think they become relevant and I think we can do it that way and, and people want to watch. So um, I think there is a place for it in our game. It's just sort of making it relevant and, and ensuring that, um, you know, it means something each and every time. Mm. What's next for for Elisa? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. I'm Don't not tell me sure. like Mumbai in this series. Because <laughs> <laughs> what's next? What can we um, look forward to? Oh look, I, I'm I'm really buoyed by how how much cricket we've got in the next twelve months. I mean, it looks fairly daunting on the cal- on the calendar, but I think the opportunities for for this group in particular to go out there and you know potentially win another T20 World Cup in South Africa, which we've never toured before, is really exciting. We've got the Way Ashes series, which is also really exciting, and then a huge summer at home. So. From a cricket side of things, that's that's next, and that's really exciting. And I guess off the field, it's um, it's enjoying a bit of golf and enjoying the golf as we bumped into <laughs> one another the other day, and um, just enjoying enjoying the opportunity to go home and and, mm. and be normal and, and go to the beach and, and doing things like that to keep me sane and, and keep mm. me excited for the cricket. But um, yeah, it's I'm mm. looking forward to the next twelve months. I think it could be really fun. Um, we did see each other at the Australian Open on, on day one out there for the golf and we both followed Curry Webb, who both good <laughs> mates with as well, um, around that was also the same time as the first test over in Perth. So you ditched your husband <laughs> and opted for the cricket. Uh, does that then, can I ask a question? I did have this, but what about the Steely Cup? Where are we with mm. that? Speaking of golf, cricket, husband, the Steely Cup. <laughs> yeah. Look, are you uh, winning that? Are you in yes. front? I've taken an yeah. unassailable lead considering that it gets presented on New Year's Eve and I'm not sure we'll get any more rounds in before the end yes. of the new year. So uh, it's safe to say that I'm in front and I'll get, I'll get the trophy again. So it's a, yes. another win for the Healy. We talked about um, Elise Perry's book in our last episode as well and it just got me thinking, where's your book? Is that on... <laughs> Is that something that's being planned and talked about? Is something that you would like? I'd read it. I'd be really keen. <laughs> um, interesting question. I, I, we laughed when Pez to, when Pez launched her book and said, "I imagine what my book would be like. It'd be behind the scenes of all the shenanigans that have gone on over the twelve <laughs> years that I've played." And I said, "I'm not sure that's what people want." And she said, "I think that's exactly what people exactly want." Exactly what so, they want. Yes. Yeah. We'll see. We'll we'll see if I come up with a book. I need someone to write it first. Maybe you're on the list. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Just got to get some time and some writing skills. Can we do a <laughs> podcast format? I'd be keen for that. But, we can do um, an audio yeah. book. There you go. There we go. I'd be keen for that, definitely. <laughs> hey, final question. We always ask what you'd ask your 10-year-old self, but we've done that. So um, I just want to ask if you could have a billboard on a big highway that everyone passes. There's lots of girls and boys passing there and you had your face there with a quote on that mm-hmm. billboard. What would be the quote that you would want to put on that billboard? Um, I think it would just be as simple as smile and enjoy it. I mean, enjoy the little challenge of every day, but if you've got a smile on your face, things get better. So that would be as simple as that. I love it. Thank you so much for coming back and chatting to me on on her game. Um, I loved our first episode. I love this and I love watching your journey um, continue and I just can't believe you just – it's just achievement after achievement, record after record. So thanks for um, thanks for making the game richer and, and such a joy to watch, Elisa.
On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer Lindsay Green, audio producer Nikki Sitch, executive producer Jennifer Goggins.